Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Maybe as a transition, uh, while folks are leaving, I'll, I'll uh, introduce you to a couple of books that I am uh, just finishing. I was at a pastor's conference uh, at the end of January, and they gave us a book called Reformation uh, by Alan Hirsch and Mark Nelson. It's, uh, I'm going to uh, use a quote out of this book today. It's really a fascinating, great read, Seeing God seeing people and seeing mission through re-enchanted frames. And then another book that is, it's not a, a, a Christian book, but it's a powerful book, and it's one everybody should get and read. June and Russ gave this to me for my 60th birthday. It's called The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. How We Meet and Why It Matters. Really, really good book. Thank you, June and Russ. Yeah, really good. I'm going to use a quote in, in this book as well. Let's quiet our hearts. Let's open our hearts and invite the Spirit of God and the Word of God to do something that uh, can, can happen from the inside out. I'm praying that something supernatural, significant would happen in your heart this morning. So let us make space, create space for God to speak. Holy Spirit, right here in real time, we pray that you would draw us to yourself, that you would speak, that you'd whisper, that you'd nudge, that you'd, you'd stir in us that you'd give us eyes to see your truth, give us ears to hear how much you love us, and give us hearts that are not hard, but are responsive to you. And my prayer is that each one of us, including John Ireland, myself, would walk out of this room, this auditorium, that, that we'd walk out different than when we walked in because we've experienced the living God, the creator, the savior, the redeemer, the friend. And it's through Jesus we pray, amen. Got a good crowd here today. We got, we got people in the bleachers up there. Wow, way to go. I like that, right on. Yeah, thanks for being with us. We're in a series that's titled BLESS, uh, and it's, it's an acronym it's rooted in Genesis 12 when Abram said when God said to Abram I have blessed you I will bless you to hoard it all and keep it all for yourself no I will bless you to be a blessing God's blessing in our life God's forgiveness his love his mercy his generosity his provision it's all all of that blessing is for us to receive that and then to go and live it out and become a blessing, to live a life that blesses others. 
And so this acronym, B-L-E-S-S, the B was week one, begin with prayer, where we are actually a praying people, that the people of God actually, we get on our knees, we have tender hearts, we care about people, so we pray for people that we care about. We pray that God would show up. We pray for divine appointments, and we talked about the dangerous prayer that we're praying, many of us, every day. God, today, I make myself available to you. Bring the person or the people into my life that need you, that need me the most. And then you watch, and one of my friends said that God brings the surprising stranger. That's how he says it. God brings the surprising stranger into my life when I pray this prayer. And my spiritual antenna is up. And now I'm living a spiritual adventure. Each day I'm praying that God would bring the people into my life that need me and need him the most. And uh, I've talked to several of you. And one, uh, my, my friend Diego, I was with, I, I saw him this week, and he goes, I gotta stop praying that prayer. God's bringing so many people into my life for me to help them. It's, it's incredible. So the L, the L stands for listen well. We, we talked about that last week. Listen well. Listen, that listening is a way that we love people well. And we talked about listening with interest and with understanding and listening with our eyes, not just our ears, with our bodies. And uh, so we're going to today look at the E, the E. And uh, some of you are going to go, what? That, the E stands for, you ready for this? Eat together. Eat together. Eat together. Eat together. Some of you are like, I'm out of here, man. This church isn't biblical enough. What are you talking about? We're going to learn today that Jesus ate with people, and it was a way that he built community. It was a way that he wooed people. It was a way that, that people got to know him and know his heart. And if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible. We actually have the uh, passage for you in your program this morning. You can pull it out on this uh, little program and the words there in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And uh, I have a very simple outline this morning. Uh, I've, I've kind of structured or framed this talk, the reality, the remedy, and the response. We're going to talk about the reality, the remedy, and the response. Here's, here's God's word. Listen as I read this for us, Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now I'm going to just pause there. Sometimes when I read, I just have this, you know what we say at Ocean Hills is notice what you notice. When you read scripture, notice what you notice. So I read this first line, and you know what I notice? Jesus sees people. Wherever you are this morning, Jesus knows where you are. And we sang about the walls and the mountains, the stresses, the things that overwhelm us, the things that burden us. Jesus sees you in your seat this morning, and he's here to help you. He's here to strengthen you. He's here to give you fresh perspective. He's here to bring deliverance. He's here to bring a breakthrough. But isn't it interesting? 
just in the verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man that, now Matthew wasn't even a follower of Jesus at this point. So let me just make another notice what you notice. Some of you are going, well, God doesn't see me because I don't believe in him. Even if this morning you're here and you don't believe in God, he still sees you and he still loves you and he still is pursuing you and he wants to know you and be known by you. Watch what happens. So as Jesus was walking along, I'm not even going to get past this first line, am I? As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 10, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home. What a novel idea, inviting people into your home. We're going to talk about that this morning. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. But it wasn't just Jesus and his disciples. It says, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. This is a party I want to be invited to. <laughs> Verse 11. But when the Pharisees, those Navy SEAL, super spiritual, rigid, religious people, when they saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Wow, that's a strong, judgy word. And when Jesus heard this, he said, guess what? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you, I want you you just can put your own name in there. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they have it all together, actually not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners, that they're selfish. We're going to look at this passage, the reality, the remedy and the response. So the reality is we find in this passage a guy named Matthew, and he's sitting at a tax collector's booth. Some of you are wondering, what's the significance of him being a tax collector in the first century? In Jesus' day, tax collectors were known to be traitors. They were known to be thieves, if you will. They worked for the Roman government. They were despised by the Jews of Jesus' day because they were perceived to be greedy and they were collaborating with the Roman government and tax payments in excess of what Rome required and they would keep the difference. Does that make sense? So tax collectors were people that others were like, I don't want to hang out with you. You're a bully. You're using your power to take advantage of me. You're using your power to, to gain wealth, but in the process you're hurting and you're taking 
from other people. I want you to sit in that tax collector's booth. It's one of the ways you read and study Scripture is you sit in the text, you sit in the passage. I want you to imagine what Matthew is feeling and thinking as, as, as he's overcharging people on their taxes and he's, he's using his power to take advantage of people. What's that feeling like? I'm imagining a Matthew that initially is going, this is awesome. I'm getting wealthy and oh, they'll get over it, you know. They, they, they're, they're, not, they're not dying. I'm just kind of taking a little extra for myself. No big deal. Oh, I know it maybe hurts them. Maybe they're not going to be able to give their kids extra presents for birthday. And, but, and he's, he's accumulating wealth at the expense of others. And I think there can be a blindness maybe for a guy like Matthew initially. But I think when you live a life of scam and secrets, and I've got the insider information, and I'm ripping people off. I think that that life, that dishonest life, that broken life, it breaks relationships. It breaks your character. A tax collector in Jesus' day is a person who had lost their way. So we would say they're lost. That might be offensive to some lost, what? But everybody in this room at one time or another, we lose our way. We kind of walk on the right path, and then life happens. Greed happens. Lust happens. Anger happens. Resentment, bitterness. And we feed that. And we sit at that tax collector's booth like Matthew, and I'm going to push deeper and say, I think there's a moment. I don't know when it happened for Matthew. But now he's sitting in that booth one day, and he's going, people don't respect me. And if I'm honest, I don't respect myself. On the outside, my life looks good, but if somebody could see inside what's really stirring. There's a loneliness. I've lost my way. My character is not, my integrity is not what I want it to be. I don't respect myself the way I'm living my life. And then as you read the story, what happens? Jesus shows up. He shows up to Matthew sitting in his small life, living for me, myself, and I, living for himself. And what does he do? He opens his life to Jesus. And maybe I just push the pause button here for a moment and say, you know, I, I know in an audience of, of this size that there, there's somebody in this room that's, that's going, that's me today. I am Matthew. I'm living that life where I'm not who I want to be that I'm compromising my character in the business world, that my relationships aren't as healthy and life-giving as I, I want them to be, that I'm not as respected by my community, my business community, as I want to be, because I've made some decisions that hurt other people. I've taken advantage of other people. The fine print in my contracts, I, I, we don't read the fine print, and then, and then I 
rip off my friends, my colleagues, and now they're keeping me at a distance. But what's so beautiful about this passage is Jesus comes to Matthew and he says, What? Dude, you're a loser. Stay away from me. You're not religious enough for me. Is that what, is that what he says? Hey, Matthew, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It's directional. Follow me. It's not just believing the right things, friends. Follow me and become my disciple. A disciple is a learner. A learner. Follow me and learn how to live your life in a healthy way. Follow me and learn how to become a man of integrity. Follow me and learn how to be intimate and close in your most important relationships. Follow me and learn how to become a forgiver. Follow me and learn how to live with freedom. Follow me and discover life. There's another group of people in this passage, not just Matthew, but I would, I would say there's another group in this passage that are lost and broken. They've lost their way and their relationships are broken, and it's the religious people. It's the Pharisees. Did you notice their response to Jesus hanging out with Matthew and his friends? The disreputable people, the partiers, the ones that are, you know, out at all night partying, smoking weed, drinking. Jesus says, I want to hang out with them because I care about everybody. And the Pharisees are like, how can your teacher hang out with such? And the words used is scum. That is such a strong word. But let me tell you about these religious leaders. These are the judgy religious people, the critical ones, the abrasive ones, the hard-hearted, self-righteous. I'm better than you. I'm right and you're wrong, people. I know you haven't met any of those. But you know, Jesus says that if that's me, I'm just as lost and broken as the Matthews in this world that are crooks and scammers. The judgy, critical, abrasive, self-righteous, arrogant church people. That's you and me, by the way. I'm pointing at myself. Jesus is saying, if that's how you're living your life, you're lost. In fact, what does he say at the very end of this passage? He says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous. Why not? Because he's saying, I can't help people that think they have it all together. I can't help people that think they're perfect. I can't help people that have a facade and saying, look at my life. But underneath, they're unwilling to own their own issues. They're unwilling to admit that they've got some emptiness, some brokenness, that they've lost their way in certain areas of their life. Jesus is saying, I can't help you. 
That's the reality. The reality is we live in a world, we live in a community, Santa Barbara, that's filled with Pharisees, not just spiritually, but I would say culturally too, and socially as well. There's a kind of, my life looks awesome on the outside. I'm sophisticated, I'm educated, I serve on these nonprofit boards, I'm philanthropic, and you think I got my life all together. Everybody wants to be like me, but inside, I'm critical, I think I'm better than you, look at me. And Jesus is saying, John Ireland, Jesus is saying, I'm broken, I'm lost, if that's how I'm living my life. This book uh, that I referred to earlier, Reformation, I love it. One of the questions they ask is this, how do we help this generation become receptive to the reality of God's kindness and unfailing love? Did you know that Santa Barbara, according to Barna's research, is in, in all of our country, in all of the United States, Santa Barbara is ranked number two of every city in the United States of the community that has the most people or the most percentage of people that are never churched. Not unchurched, like they used to go to church. Never churched. Santa Barbara, this community that we live in. So here we are Sunday morning. We have about 100,000 people. Guess where 90 Nine, well, let's see that. I think there's 6%, 3% Catholic, 3% Protestant that are in church on, a, on an, any given Sunday in Santa Barbara. So 94,000 people this morning are playing volleyball at East Beach, out running, biking, doing those things that we all love to do. And it's not that they used to go to church. What, 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 what Barna's research is showing about our community is we're second in America of never church. They haven't experienced church. That's the way I was raised. I never went to church, ever. I know some of you went, well, I put my time in as a kid. You know, my parents. Made. That's not the, the group we're talking about here. We live in a community, number two in America, of people that they don't know what church is like. They've heard, and they don't know what God is like. And in this book, page 112, I love, I, I love this insight. This is what uh, he writes. If I can find it. Here we are. Try to imagine what it is like to form one's perspectives of the world from a life spent within a very limited space. And he quotes this. Consider one of C.S. Lewis's parables in which he invites us to picture a woman thrown into a dungeon in that prison, she bears and she rears a son. This poor lad grows up seeing nothing but dungeon walls, straw on the floor, and a grating which is too high up to show anything but a little patch of sky. It turns out that this unfortunate woman was also an artist, and when they imprisoned her, she was allowed to bring with her a drawing pad and a box of pencils. Because she never loses the hope of freedom, she constantly tries to help her son understand something of the outer world which he has never, ever seen. 
As he has no reference to objects outside of the dungeon, she tries to teach him by drawing him pictures with the lines of, his, of her pencil. She attempts to communicate to him what fields, rivers, mountains, cities, and waves on a beach look like. He, the son, is a devoted learner, and he does his best to believe her when she tells him that the outer world is way more interesting and glorious than anything in the dungeon. At times, he succeeds in believing this, but at other times, here's the line, he simply cannot believe because he cannot conceive what she's really referring to. He cannot believe because he cannot conceive. We live in a community people cannot believe because they cannot conceive of a God that is personal. They cannot believe because they cannot conceive of a God that is, has a love for you and me and everyone that is unfailing. People cannot conceive of how good God is. That's why I try and remind us every week, he's better than you think. God is bigger than you think. God is closer than you think. We live in a community people actually can't conceive. And that's why we also say, if you knew God, you would really love him. If you really knew him, you would love God. And if you don't love God, it's because you actually don't really know the God who's made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And we live in a community that just simply cannot conceive of a God who is good, of a God who is caring. And you know why? Because they meet people that follow God, who are creepy, who are judgy, who are condemning, who are, I'm better than you, and arrogant. <laughs> Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. So what am I saying? There's another way to live. There's another way to live. We studied this passage in our staff meeting this week, and I can't remember, I think it was Casey Yardley, who, who said to me, how in the world did the church lose its way? How in the world did the church become so rigid, so condemning, so judgmental? When we look at Jesus, and we look at him in this passage, and we discover a Jesus who's gracious, who's warm, who's laughing, who's drinking wine, who's enjoying relationships, not with religious people. They were condemning him. The with people that were tax collectors, people that were sinners, people that had lost their way, people that were trying to figure it out, people that were kind of believing and kind of not, depending on the day, people that were trusting him and not trusting him, right? That's the story of the Gospels that we're invited into is followers of Jesus follow Jesus. So what does that mean? That gets to this next point, which is just simply the remedy. And the remedy is Jesus Christ. That's the remedy. The reality is people are far from God. We have tax collectors. We have religious people that are critical. We're far from God. The remedy is, this is so simple. Jesus says, I'm the remedy. I'm the remedy. 
I'm the remedy. He says in John 10, I have come that you might have a rich and satisfying life, an abundant life. That's my purpose. That's why I came. In John 15, he says, your life's not going to bear any fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, a person of self-control. Apart from me, that life is unreachable. But when you invite Christ into your life, when you open your life to Christ, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that work in you, that supernatural work where you stop living for yourself and your ego and your reputation, and you start living beyond yourself to serve others, to bless others, to encourage others, and to experience healthy relationships. And so as we look at this passage, the remedy is Jesus. Follow me. That's the remedy. Follow me. If you're Matthew, follow me. If you're a religious leader who's judgy and critical and you come to church every Sunday, start following Jesus. Quit following religion and rules and start following Jesus. And so then we get to the response. Verses 10 and 11, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Wow. Wait, what? I came to church today and you're going to tell me that I got to go have a meal with people? Yeah, that's the point of this sermon. You can do this. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and disreputable sinners. He invited some old friends, and he invited some new friends, Matthew did, into his home for dinner. What a novel idea to have a dinner party with some of your friends that are people of faith and some of your friends that aren't people of faith. Some of your friends that are seeking, some of your friends that are Matthew, some of your friends that are Pharisees, and we bring them together, and guess what? It's messy. But guess what? God works. Jesus shows up. Conversations happen that matter. And that's what happens. He becomes an ambassador, Matthew does. He becomes a light. He becomes an instrument. Let me... Let me restate this question in this book. How do we help this generation? How do we help this generation become receptive to the reality of God's kindness? It's not inviting people into your home and putting your TV on and having the 700 club on, hoping that that like does something or handing out tracks as they come in or something. It's about actually being a normal Awesome, engaging, warm, loving, caring, genuine friend. What a novel idea. This book, The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. I just, I love how, he, just in the intro, here's the first line. The way we gather matters. Gathering, which is the conscious bringing together of people for a reason, it shapes the way we think, feel, and make sense of our world. And I would add, make sense of God and the spiritual life. And why we gather and how we gather, it matters. You get to create an experience or experiences for your friends, for your family. 
to be an instrument of God's peace and love and warmth and kindness. This is a way that we bless our community that has never experienced church. They'll never come here. You invite them to church. They're like, I don't do church. That's what I, when I was invited, I was like, I'm not, uh, no, 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 I don't do church. But I actually got invited to Laura Lee Davis's house for this high school event. It was like a high school party with other high school kids. And I went to that. I wouldn't go to church, but I went to that. And that's where I met Christ. Our friend June, who most of you, so many of you know, she's here today. We talked this week. I loved, June, I loved your quote. She said this. She said, we have beautiful kitchens that we don't cook in, beautiful tables that we don't sit around, and beautiful doors that we don't open. That is so true in this town. We have beautiful kitchens that we don't cook in, beautiful tables we don't sit around, beautiful doors we don't open. And Scripture reminds us that we as the people of God are to be eager to practice hospitality. So let me stop. This is so simple and so scary for some of you. The idea of saying, who has God brought into my life? Who are my friendship groups? Who are the relationships, people that I, that I care about, that I want to bring together and love and share my home, my life? We have a single mom in our church, and she's created or been part of creating with other moms. They send their kids all to the same school, and once a month they rotate homes. They call them Orchata Nights. It's a bunch of women that get together and they have dinner together. And this, this mom in our church, she just she goes and she loves other women, other moms, uh, creating this community of friendship. It's awesome. We have, uh, Natalie and I just had an opportunity, we had a Valentine's party. We invited some people from Franklin Elementary School, some people from Ocean Hills. We just had a little happy hour at our house. We told people to bring a love poem, bring a scripture, bring a funny joke or a quote, something having to do with love. Bring something meaningful you want to share with your husband or your wife. There's no hidden agenda except that, just to enjoy each other and love each other and uh, bring our worlds together. What might it be for you? Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. Lent starts. Ah, what are you going to give up? I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to give up this. How about getting crazy? How about having a dinner party? Rather than give up chocolate for Lent, how about if you say, I'm going to give up one night, one Saturday night in Lent. You have six weeks to pull it off. And you're going to throw a Matthew party. You're going to actually throw a Matthew dinner party. You're going to invite people into your little apartment, into your dorm room, into your house, into your mansion. I don't know where you live, but you're going to actually reach out to your kids, you know, your, your kids' friends' parents. You're going to have a pool party. I don't know what you're going to have. You're going to invite your coworkers at the office. You're going to invite some of your friends from Ocean Hills, and you're going to come together, and you're going to engage in genuine conversation about life. You're going to get curious about people and their story, and what makes them tick, and who, who and what they love to do. It's not 
rocket science, but if the people of God would, would begin to just follow Jesus and just start living the way he lived, our community will be transformed. I really believe that. What happens is, is the longer you're in the church, like me, it's us four and no more. I got, I got my, my three friends, my five friends, families. I only hang out with them. I don't have room in my life for anybody else. I want to push you, nudge you, maybe kick you a little bit. I don't know. I want to I motivate you that somehow, some way, that you would look at this story and you would say, God, I'm available. I'm willing. I'm going to invite different friend groups together. I, we, I was, we were talking about this in a group, and uh, one of the guys in, in my Thursday group said, this sounds like we were studying this passage. He goes, this sounds like my bachelor party. He said, man, I had my old friends, and I had my new Christian friends, and I brought them together, and I wasn't sure. I was kind of nervous, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. That's the takeaway today. The takeaway is not, oh, that was a great sermon. Let's go have lunch and forget about it. The takeaway today isn't getting in your car and going, what'd you think of the sermon? Uh, give them a C minus. That's not the takeaway. <laughs> the takeaway is... I'm going to do something. I'm going to live out my faith. I'm actually going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to follow Matthew's example. And I'm going to throw a Matthew party. And I'm going to pray and trust that God's going to work in that. Let's close in prayer. As I pray, I want to read for you Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is so powerful. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin to God? It's his kindness. It's his kindness. It's the kindness of God that transforms us and that will transform our community. It's your kindness to people in this community that will transform them because God will work through you as you extend invitations of kindness, inviting people into your home. I hope you'll say yes. Kind Father, give us a vision for our life that we're not put on this earth to live for ourselves, but we're put on this earth to make a difference. We're put on this earth to bring heaven to earth. And right here, right now, I pray over every heart in this room, people that have no faith, people that have a little bit of faith, people that are spiritual giants, God, I pray that you'd move in our hearts to open our lives and our homes to begin to care for people the way you cared for people. And Lord, we, we confess that, that some of us, we're Pharisees. We're critical. We're judgy. We're sitting here going, uh, how am I going to invite people that, that believe different, that think different, that vote different than me? How am I going to invite them into my home? Well, God, you're going to do that. 
You're going to put those people into our hearts and you're going to soften us. You're going to increase our capacity to be kind and loving and to offer genuine friendship with our neighbors and our co-workers, with our, our kids, friends, and families. So do it, Lord. I pray that we'd look back on today's message that a seed was planted and watered and then it, 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 it came to fruition and that we see people that are taking steps closer to you, people that uh, have never been to church ever before in this community, but because of people in this room opening their homes and their hearts, God, that you would use that to make the difference in our community. So we offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, let's stand together and let's sing a song of response. I love this idea of a Matthew. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.